if we could close our eyes, I'd like to begin a new series today with a prayer of examine. And this is our own church's customized prayer of examine. And so this is our own. We own this prayer as a church. And so if you could still yourself, close your eyes, and if you wish, you can repeat after me and I'll say each phrase. God, I am grateful for this day. As I review my day, what should I take notice of? Please shed your light and show me what I really need. Show me if I am resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid. Lead me, if necessary, to make an apology. Have I kept something to myself which should be discussed with another person at once? Was I kind and loving towards all or was I thinking of myself most of the time? Forgive me my harms and show me what corrective measures I can take. This I do in Jesus' name. Amen. We're starting a new series today. Next Sunday, we'll talk about that prayer of examine. And this new series is called Soul Food, hashtag Soul Food. And uh, the series is going to be about spiritual practices, spiritual formation practices, we call them, that will nourish and feed our souls. Um, this is the time of year when everything in the garden is beginning to grow again. It's miraculous. Nature is so forgiving. And as we see things that grow, you want to make sure to feed it the right fertilizer in the right amounts at the right times and the right frequencies. In the same way, our souls need fertilizing, fertilizing to keep us nourished, healthy, and strong, and in the right amounts. I hope that we don't think that our soul fertilization just happens on Sunday. These are spiritual practices to adopt all throughout our lives, throughout the ebb and flow of our lives. And I hope that these practices are things that um, will shape us as a church, uh, even affecting our woven groups, our small groups, and the rhythms of how we do life communally, um, and the rhythms of life throughout the week. Just to give you some background where this series came from, um, it's personally connected with me. Uh, I just received an official uh, acceptance letter from Fuller Theological Seminary uh, this past week in terms of uh, uh, an acceptance letter into their Doctorate of Ministry program. And so this is a <laughs> clap when I'm done in four years. I haven't even started. I looked at the syllabus and I said, wow. Um, but these are designed for pastors, full-time pastors like myself in mind. So I don't want you to think that this is going to take away from ministry. In fact, there's a lot of overlap with ministry. Uh, a lot of the things that I do there are going to inform what I do here, and that's why I'm doing it. I don't want it to take away from my first priority, which is you. Um, Along with my studies, Fuller also hired me for some part-time work, um, 
helping to shape and train their seminarians with these spiritual practices. And so here in Houston, they have a campus here in Houston where I'll be working something like, you know, on the low end, you know, six hours a month. So it's not a lot. But helping to shape their students and their, these seminarians on what it means to not just have head knowledge. Because I went through seminary, and I learned a lot of stuff up here, but how we live this out, how we live good, ethical, holy lives, you don't learn that. And Fuller is attempting to do that. And the translation is I want to bring that into the pulpit as well and even share with you this cutting-edge stuff with you, my congregation. These practices, for example, like gratitude. You know, I talk about this stuff all the time. That's why they hired me. Gratitude, um, truth-telling, forgiveness, promise-keeping, self-examination, contemplation. All of these things believe it or not, have to be taught to seminarians. And I think we can also work it into the life of woven. And today, I'm going to start with the spiritual discipline of hospitality. Hospitality. I think it's a great way to start the series. If you look on the cover of your bulletin, you'll see this great smorgasbord of food, this huge, you know, this, this huge table. Hospitality is a way to start this series because hospitality is... It was an ancient Christian practice. Mind you, these formation practices, what we're teaching, are things that go all the way back to the earliest church. What we've done is we've identified the essential practices that distinguished us as Christians. The essential things that if this were 50 AD and Roman soldiers or officials were looking at us, they would recognize that we were Christians by these things, these practices. Hospitality really was an ancient practice. Um, and I really, really hope that I'm not just going to talk about it as head knowledge today. I hope, especially as we go into the summer season, not there yet, thank goodness, still can enjoy this beautiful weather. But soon as we enter into the summer season as woven, I really hope that this message of hospitality will soak into our souls and that we will remember it and that we will practice hospitality. I'll start off with a story uh, talking about hospitality. Um, of course, it comes from a movie. Um, I get a lot of my uh, feelings and my, uh, these senses. I get these things from movies and it, it leaves an impression on me. C.S. Lewis, the author, G.K. Chesterton, they talked about the same thing. They would get these feelings. They would get these nostalgias, except they came from books. <laughs> For me, I get these nostalgias from movies. Anyway, the movie is uh, a movie by Martin Scorsese, and it's called The Departed. <laughs> and uh, there's a scene in that movie that left such a strong sense of nostalgia for me that I'd like to share it with you. Basically, it's a story about uh, an undercover cop named Billy Costigan. He's played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and he infiltrates the Irish mob. He infiltrates the Irish mob, and the mob boss is brilliantly, maniac, <laughs> maniacally played by uh, Jack Nicholson. And he's so scary, Jack Nicholson is. You can feel the fear that at one point, Billy, Cost Billy Costigan, Leo DiCaprio, he he has, to, he has to come in and talk to his captain because he's scared. 
So in the middle of the night, he shows up on his captain's, the police captain. Did, did I clarify that? He's an undercover cop, right? Infiltrating the Irish mob. He shows up on his captain's doorstep. And his captain uh, is played by Martin Sheen, an, you know, an aging, old, fatherly figure type of person, very warm. And he shows up, and Martin Sheen's like, oh, what are you doing here? You know, you're going to blow your cover, you're going to blow my cover. And he says, come through the back, come through the back. And Leo DiCaprio, you can tell he's so scared and he's so tense and he sits down and he's like, I can't do this anymore, Cap, I can't do this. And the first thing that Martin Sheen, his character, Captain Queenan, he says is, come on, come on, have you eaten? Have you eaten? The wife made something, there's some food over here, eat. And he's like, no, 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 I can't eat right now. And then he says, come on, eat, come on, come on, eat. And for me, there's something so warm about that invitation. Come on, come on, eat. That whenever I see my people harassed, uh, when I see you stressed out, you're in a really tight bind at work, and Jack Nicholson is about to cut your fingers off, <laughs> and you come and you see me on Sunday, and I want to be Martin Sheen to you. I, I want to be that hospitality. I want to just say, have you eaten? Come on, come on, come on. Come to my house, my wife. <laughs> come on, we have some food. Come on, come on and eat. That to me is just this picture of hospitality in the midst of harassed and stressed times. That when we are distressed, that sometimes the most warmest thing you can just hear is somebody saying, Sit down, sit down, have something to eat, have something to drink, visit. And so this really, this ancient ideal of hospitality, um, as we go into the summer season as woven, not yet, but soon, I want you to hear three characteristics, three elements of hospitality that goes all the way back to ancient times. I keep reiterating that because if we do this, we will be like the early church. And the first element of hospitality is sharing. So the first of three, sharing, sharing. It's so simple, sharing. Sharing our lives, sharing our bread. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and they devoted themselves to what? The breaking of bread and to prayer. This was the ancient Christian practice that we still practice today of communion, except they did it whenever they gathered. Imagine that. I mean, shoot, I, I, I'd almost be like, I'd, I'd ordain all of you so that whenever you gather, you should just celebrate the Lord's Supper. Honestly, I don't know if I'd have a problem with that. I think I'd be okay with that. As long as you do it in the right spirit, that you gather together, then why not? Open up the wine, get some bread out, gluten-free, say, we're going to have the Lord's Supper after just hanging out, because that's what the early church did. They didn't just share food, but they shared in the table. And along with that, everybody kept feeling a sense of awe, awe. You know, I share the story of Woven with people. We're approaching our third birthday. And as I talk about the things and the ups and the downs of the first year and even the first three years, you know, people's jaws drop. They do. You can tell as I share what happened on the first day, the first week. You know, people, they're like, there's a sense of awe. We can share this story, friends. The gospel through woven. The gospel at work in woven. Everybody felt a sense of awe. Signs and wonders are taking place. 
And all those who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing, sharing with all, as anyone might have need. Sharing. That word sharing, listen to this. In the Greek, it's diamerizo. Diamerizo is the same Greek word that's used when the Holy Spirit came. We sang that song today, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And then the tongues of fire appeared on their heads. It didn't appear all at the same time. Because it says diamerezo, the tongues of fire distributed themselves. They were shared. They distributed. They multiplied. There's like one fire, and then you took, you know, it's like somebody put a stick over my head, and then with a marshmallow on it, and then started to spread it around and make more little fires. They distributed the fire. In the same sense, here, they distributed bread and food and possessions, in fact, if there's one word I think that characterizes the early church in the book of Acts, it's diamerezo, distribution, sharing, distribution. It's a beautiful picture. It doesn't necessarily just mean your possessions and your money as if this was some kind of communistic, but just sharing yourself, openness, openness and sharing ourselves. I know that this week was a historical week, interesting week politically, where the um, Obamacare, uh, Obamacare was repealed. And maybe you're wondering if what ACTS is talking about is prescribing something like Obamacare, where we're supposed to kind of equally distribute, I don't know if this is a good, analogy, good comparison, but... Is Acts 2 saying we're supposed to distribute all of our possessions in some kind of socialistic, communistic scheme? Is it? Well, two things I'll say to that. Number one, I don't think it is. I don't think that Acts is making a prescription for national economics. I don't think it's putting out a political scheme. This is how the early church functioned. It's not saying this is how Rome was supposed to function. So, Number one, I don't think that this is a prescription for communism or socialism. And number two, when you look elsewhere throughout the New Testament, we see that people retained their homes. They kept their houses. Not everybody sold their houses. And what that's an indication is that this was not mandated or enforced. Look, if you don't want to share your lunch, you don't have to. The apostles are not going to come down hard on you. You know why Ananias and Sapphira got into trouble? They got into trouble not because they didn't share. They got into trouble because they lied. They lied. They wanted to look like they were sharing, but they didn't. And they said they were. They said they were. That's the difference. It was the lie that got them into trouble. The whole point being that, listen, friends, don't be under compulsion. Share from strength. Share from the strength that you have, if you are able to. The hardest thing for me to share and to open up and to host, you know, when I'm tired, frank, you know, frankly, it's hard. It is hard. But when you have strength and you're able to share, that's the first application. What assets and strengths do I have to share? What assets and strengths do I have to give, to distribute? Somebody once told me, I like this, you can't give from want. You can't share from lack. We can't give from lack. So, 
Think, friends, what assets and strengths do you have indeed to share? Do you know the early church was built on this kind of sharing? And even if people didn't share, there were people who retained their homes, large homes, wealthy Greek patrons and patronesses. And what they did was they opened up their homes, and this is where the early church met. Somebody's going to have to host. And so, if it weren't for the early Greek patrons and patronesses, the early church would not have been able to gather. They would not have had places to meet and hide even, hide. So they gathered in these places. Wealth, friends, I I don't want to go too deep into this because the Bible says a lot of different things about wealth. But I will say this. If you have it, be hospitable. Share it. If you have it, open up your hearts and your homes and your lives to the church of God. A lot of good can be done. A second element and characteristic of hospitality, the first, once again, is sharing. Spirit of sharing as we enter summer. May we have the spirit of sharing. Spiritual practice of hospitality and sharing. The second element is togetherness. Togetherness. Sense of togetherness when it comes to hospitality. Togetherness. You see in verse 44, it says, all those who believed, they were together. You can't grow a church, you can't be a church unless you're spending time together. And that, I can't force it. It's natural. What I loved about the retreat uh, this past spring was that we were together for two, two, three days and just, you know, how we came out and all of these interesting characters and dinosaurs and costumed people and sentence finishers. <laughs> and it was fun. We were together. That was my favorite character, by the way. Was it the sentence completers? Sentence finishers. Those were my, that was my favorite. That was my favorite. We are the sentence finishers. <laughs> it was awesome. It was so cool. Just wait till next camp. I'm planning, I'm planning uh, not Howie, but something else. I've got a good one coming up. Day by day, they continued with one mind, breaking bread from house to house, taking meals together. You just get the sense of togetherness. Togetherness. You know, the principle, the first principle in the fill in the blank is somebody's going to have to host. You just have, somebody's just going to have to host. In order to be together, friends, an hour and a half on Sunday morning, two hours, that's nice. Um, but the continual togetherness means somebody's just going to have to host. I remember when we first started Woven in my living room. Paul was talking about this last Sunday. Uh, we spent a couple of months in my house. And I remember every Sunday after we were gathering in my home and on the way out, everybody would say, thank you for hosting, thank you for hosting. And I remember thinking to myself, you don't have to thank me because where else are we going to meet? <laughs> where else are we going to meet? We have to meet, some, somebody's going to have to host. Somebody's going to have to host. When it comes to hospitality and the ancient Christian practice of hospitality, it meant people... There's a funny story in, in Acts, uh, in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 12, and Peter, Peter was in jail, 
And so they said, impromptu prayer meeting. They sent an email and text messages out to the whole church. And they said, impromptu prayer meeting at John Mark's house. Actually, Mark's mom's house. <laughs> John Mark, who wrote Mark. We, you know, it's the, the, the disciple who wrote Mark. His mother was named Mary. She was one of the million women named Mary at the time. And she opened up her home, you see. And they were all praying at her house. And then the door knocks, right? Knock, knock, knock. And Peter's at the door. And then there's the funny story about the, the, the girl running and saying, Peter's at the door. There's all kind of funny stories about people meeting in their homes. There's another story about Paul preaching like a 12-hour sermon or something and somebody sitting upstairs and falling asleep and falling out of the window. Remember that time? It was awesome. He died. <laughs> and then Paul raised him from the dead. The dude fell out of the window. Stories like that. Togetherness. It's from togetherness that you get stories like that. Togetherness. Which means, number one, somebody's going to have to host. But you know what I believe? I believe, number two, there are dividends. There's dividends to hospitality. There's good things that, comes when we, that come when we open up. We just open things up. Um, lots of Friday nights... Uh, when we have woven group at my house and I'm tired and we open up our home and we turn the music on and we turn all the lights on and people start bringing the sweets and we make the coffee and I'm so tired but by the end of the night I find a second wind. I find a second wind and the conversation was rich and the fellowship was good and I find myself rejuvenated. There are dividends. There's good things that happen. Blessing historically, this is the ancient Christian understanding. Blessing wasn't just a one-way thing. This goes back not just to the early Christians, but to the early Jews as well. That the practice of hospitality, uh, especially when you had a much more transient society, people traveling on the road, we didn't have, you know, the Katy Creek Ranch communities or the communities of Cinco Ranch. We didn't have these kind of... Um, community was much more organic back then. Somebody was traveling on their way from Samaria to Judea, and they needed somewhere to stay the night, and so they would knock on doors. This is the ancient Christian. In, in fact, in some parts of the Middle East today, it's still practiced. It's still practiced. I've heard stories of Christians who would come to Muslims because they had nowhere else to go, and the Muslim would say, are you a Christian? And they'd say, actually, yes, I am. And they'd say, that's okay. I'm going to protect you, and you're going to stay in my house today, and I'm going to feed you, and I'm going to give you hospitality and send you with my blessing. Why? In return, you will also bless me. That's the way it is. And today, we don't really, it's much more sterile. Community and hospitality, it's much more kind of this sterile practice. Read this quote by Christine Pohl, Professor Christine Pohl from Asbury. It's in your notes. And she says, we so often go into these hospitality interactions thinking we're the one who is providing the benefit, the help, the care our guest needs. She's like the specialist on hospitality. We think we're the ones that's providing the blessing. In fact, it is the guest who brings the blessing. Hospitality is generally understood more as a duty to welcome others. But that differs from the early Christian understanding, which was a much richer one. 
The tradition of hospitality in those times, and I would argue still alive in some parts of the world today, the tradition of hospitality was so powerful because there was an assumption that there would be blessings for everyone, both host and guest. Not that it wasn't also difficult or risky at times, because it was, but the expectation that God would be present was very, very strong in the earliest centuries. I just, I didn't put this in my notes, but I, rem- I have a memory that I want to share with you guys, a story. I was about 21, 22 years old, and this was 2000. I just joined Youth with a Mission, and we do crazy things in Youth with a Mission. And I was on my mission outreach portion, which was uh, about two months in Central Asia, and we were in the capital city of Kyrgyzstan called Bishkek. And uh, me and two other guys, we just had this vision and this dream that we wanted to go down to the city called Jalalabad, which was a 24-hour cab drive on the Silk Road. Things you do when you're in your early 20s. 24-hour cab drive on the Silk Road going down to a predominantly Muslim, uh, pretty much 98% Muslim town. We were Christian missionaries. It's kind of freaky. And we hired a cab driver that we knew nothing about. He, he had this big Mongolian mustache. He looked like he worked for Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey. And he actually did at one point. And he was our cab driver. And we didn't know anything. He didn't speak English. And it was me, two guys, two other YWAMers, our translator who wasn't sure. He was on the fence if he was a Christian or a Muslim. And then the cab driver. And we were driving down. I'll never forget the sights I saw on the Silk Road. And amazing things. Mountains, glaciers. um, Driving along a dirt road on the side of a mountain path. Like you look down and steep drop. And anyway, after halfway through the trip, the the cab driver pulls over. And he he starts going into into this village. And my tra- our translator was like, we're, we're, you know, they're speaking in their language, and we're like, what's going on? Where are we going? And he's like, I'm not sure. He wants to take us somewhere. And we're we're kind of scared. Three of us scared. Uh, where? He's, he's taking us to his village. And we're like, oh, okay. All right. So we end up in his village. And this is halfway, and we're in his village uh, and I just have these vivid memories because the water, uh, because of mineral deposits, it was turquoise blue. It was like this, you know, just side memory. And it was lush and it was tropical. And we were in this small Muslim village and there's all these people staring at us and three, you know, Western missionaries and we walk into his house and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And like three hours go by and we're starting to get scared. And they're like sharpening knives in the back. And we're like, we're asking the translator, what is, what, 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 what's Mr. Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey doing? What are they doing? And they said, they're killing the chicken and the sheep. So they kill the chicken and the sheep. And like eight hours later, we finally eat. I kid you not. We finally eat eight hours later after like playing every Kyrgyz game that they could teach us and getting to know every member of the family. And they set out this amazing spread of food before us that would put to shame that picture on the front of your bulletin. Like it was literally a a plate of rice the size of that table with 
sheep and uh, lamb and mutton and all this rich. I, I, I haven't eaten that good since then. It was such a good meal. And then we just continued our journey. But I'll never forget the hospitality. Friends, that's a picture of hospitality. We have two-hour woven groups, and then I'm like, get out. (laughs) Hospitality, especially the ancient practice of hospitality, these eight-hour affairs where you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and rice the size of a table. And that leads to the third and last heading, which is sacrifice, sacrifice. Because we can talk about giving from stuff. We have to. There's boundaries. I'm Western. I'm American. We believe and I have boundaries. This is my house. Get out. (laughs) But at the same time, sacrifice is an element of, there's just unmistakably, look, friends, I'm not telling you to host people for eight hours in your house. So do what you can. It, It must come naturally. But we can't escape that there was a quality of hospitality. You see in verse 44, they had things in common. In 45, they began selling their property. They did this joyfully, but it was sacrificial and they knew it. You know, for the early Christians, you know what hospitality meant? This is what hospitality meant. The plague is coming. The plague is coming. The plague is here. People are dying left and right. Everybody's leaving town. Who's going to take care of the sick? You know who took care of the sick? at the risk of infection and actually did get infected many times, it was the early Christians, friends. Hospitality for the early church meant staying behind when the plague came. You know what hospitality for the early church meant? It meant scouring garbage dumps, garbage dumps, looking for, you know what? Babies. Scouring garbage dumps, looking for children, babies, infants. Because back then, abortion or the practice of disowning a child was as simple as taking the baby out and leaving it to die on the garbage dump. The early church had a reputation for hanging out in the garbage dumps and taking those babies home and raising them. Hospitality is sacrificial, friends. It is sacrificial. In conclusion, I just want to say there's three challenges. You know, I talked about hospitality with my Fuller seminary, seminary group this week. And there were some really interesting challenges to hospitality in our Western society that came up. The first thing, the first challenge is just a strong sense of individualism individualism. I know what I'm thinking when I sit down to somebody and we go out to eat, and I'm thinking, Dutch pay? (laughs) Bringing my fair share? Individualism is one. It's the first challenge. We're just not, no matter how communal we try to be, we live in an individualistic Western society. We're fighting an uphill trend here. Individualism is the first challenge. The second challenge, the hospitality, Very real racial dimensions, friends. There's racial dimensions to hospitality. We often do not invite. I like to think we here at Woven are the exception. 
But generally, people don't invite people of different race, color, or ethnicity into their homes. Generally, people don't. And not to mention spending the night. We often don't open our homes to people of different color to spend the night. There's all kinds of deep social prejudices underneath that. Mistrust. And even that, unknowing. We just don't know people of other races, and therefore we don't trust them. Well, how can we, not, how can we build trust if we don't have any relationship? So the second, first challenge, individualism, second challenge, racial dimensions, the third challenge I can think of, you know, and we're wrapping up with this, sometimes it's just easier to give money. Somebody actually said this in my, formation, in my uh, seminary formation group. This person worked with rich philanthropists, this seminarian. He worked with rich philanthropists, and he said he noticed that it was easier for them to give lots of money to causes, to social causes, to churches, to religious organizations. It was easier to give, but it was actually harder for that same rich and wealthy person. There were parts of their lives that were actually, they didn't want to open up. And that hospitality, yes, of course, there needs to be giving and opening and generosity, but sometimes it, it just means opening yourself up to a cup of coffee and a conversation and being open. And that for some people, it's easier to just give wealth or whatever and harder to give of yourself, harder to give of ourselves. I remember, I'm not going to name a name here, but I remember talking reaching out to a pastor of a large church in this area. And I said, I'd like to pick your brains. And he put me off and he said, frankly, I'm too busy for you. Too busy for you. Didn't seem very open. On the other hand, this week I just reached out to another pastor of a very large church, which I won't name. We have a lot in common. We studied at the same seminary. We lived in the same place in the West Coast. And he said, come to my home. Come to my home. A very, very busy person. He's a published author. He's written millions of dollars worth uh, of published books. Um, and he invited me into his home, my wife, to be with him and his wife. Hospitality shows. It shows. This is the last fill in the blank. Hospitality, people can tell. I, I don't have time for you. Or come to my home. Hospitality is the outward expression of an already inner openness. An inner openness, if we're already, already open inside, it shows naturally in hospitality. An inner openness is the reflection of an outer hospitality. Okay? So, that's the last thought. I'm not telling you, open your house and do all these big things and cook a, a, a table-sized plate of rice. I'm saying, begin by opening your hearts. Begin by opening your hearts and then let the hospitality naturally come from that. Lord, we pray that as we hear about what the early church did, that 
you would move us, challenge us to a greater openness. I pray that these ancient soul practices would not be something that we just listen in one year, out the other, or just get head knowledge for a season while this series lasts. I pray that it would shape the rhythms and the ebb and the flow and the life of our church. May we meet together throughout the week over lunch, coffee, at parks, after school, opening our hearts, lives, and homes. Because, Lord, you're going to show love to many, many people through Woven. I can't wait to see the good that comes from this, Lord, from this practice. I can't wait to see, Lord, how much beautiful things will happen. People opening their homes to babies and garbage dumps and people taking care of plague victims <laughs> or people just saying, come over, come on, come on, eat, come to my house, come to my house, come on, eat, eat. So Lord, empower us, we pray in Jesus' name. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.